the strokes, the hives, the vines, the eels, the something. Yes, go. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 119 for the week of May 10th, 2021. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the six songs already through to the finals with our special guest, Mark Blankenship. How's it going, Ben? It's good. Eurovision is here. It is happening. It's so exciting. Yes, and I am already exhausted. (laughs) Yes. Along with the Eurovision stuff, I won my last match on the Great American Pop Culture Quiz. Yes, congratulations about that. Thank you. Spoiler if you haven't listened to that episode yet. My second appearance, the Long Division Finals, dropped this week. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And yeah, give it a listen. There's a whole bunch of pop culture fun times and it gets weird, but in in a fun way. Much like Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it, It gets weird. It happens so often in trivia. For people who may be finding our show through your appearance on there, hello, welcome. Thank you for checking out our show. That's very nice of you. Eurovision is happening next week. It's very exciting. In the lead up to the contest over the last six weeks, we have been going through each of the semifinals with some special guests, some friends, and dissecting how we feel about the various songs. Rehearsals are underway right now in Rotterdam. They started this past Saturday. We're not going to talk about any of that this week. As we're recording this, only the first semifinals done anything on stage. We want to give it a full analysis, plus we want to avoid any sort of spoilers. I know there are people who are on media blackout mode right now, so that's for next episode. A lot of things are happening. We are very excitedly in the online press center, drinking the the terrible online press center coffee. It's very fun. This is my first time on this side of things, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Yes, same here. The whole online transition aspect of this they've been doing a really good job like the press center platform has been fantastic they have a live blog on the eurovision.tv site that's been really helpful and they've been getting videos and photos posted really quick turnaround time from the the rehearsals kudos to everybody and i'm really looking forward to seeing what the online eurovision village is going to look like it's scheduled to open on saturday and my understanding is it's going to have dj sets other musicians doing streaming performances and a chance to do a virtual tour of rotterdam the host city as far as getting ready for next week goes if you are trying to figure out how to watch eurovision we have done some of the work for you. If you want to find out what broadcasters do not have a geoblock, head over to eurowhat.com slash watch, and we have all the info. So whether you want to watch SVT or Ruv or any of the other broadcasters, we've got all the details you will need there. Yes, we will be checking on those links pretty regularly as we're getting closer to the event to make sure that they are up to date and provide the best user experience for you because we like you. So <laughs> We like you. You like us. It's mutual. Yes. And if you really like us and would like to support us, we do have our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash eurowhat. Thanks to the supporters that we have presently, we are able to provide transcripts for this, all of our semifinal episodes, and episodes moving forward. The next project that we're working on is the website that we are referring you to right now. See for yourself why we want to give it a little bit of an upgrade. Indeed. Yes. If you'd like to help support the show, that's where you can check things out. But do not feel obligated. If you just enjoy listening to the program, that is also fine. 
We are a week away from the actual semifinals and final, and it's time to look at the auto qualifiers. For this, we invited Mark Blankenship from the podcast Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs to talk about songs with us. These are going to be the five auto qualifiers, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the United Kingdom, plus the host country, the Netherlands. Mark used to run a website called The Critical Condition, which I stumbled upon many, many years ago. We started talking about pop culture, pop music, and he let me submit a post or two on his site and yeah, really kind of contributed to the whole Mike has opinions online discourse. So (laughs) thank you for that, Mark. Sorry, everybody else. It's your origin story. Yeah, this was a really fun conversation and we hope that you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Mark. Oh my gosh, y'all. I am very flattered to be here and I feel that in a certain way, my spirit has been preparing me for this moment for a very long time because this particular group of songs especially calls to me. That is wonderful to hear. That has been kind of the theme with all of our guests for this season, where the way the lineup shook out and the way the songs grouped together, it's just been matches made in heaven. I'm, I'm so excited about this. I keep thinking about this Eurovision in dessert terms, and this cake is sliced so beautifully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Mark, how were you introduced to Eurovision? Okay, that is a multi-pronged answer. I became aware of Eurovision first because I became an ABBA enthusiast in my early 20s. And, you know, to become an ABBA enthusiast is to learn about Eurovision. But as an American who didn't leave the country, really, at this time in my life, I didn't have that much access to Eurovision. But then I started to notice, oh, wait, this Gina G song was a Eurovision song. Interesting. And then there was this article in The New Yorker that Anthony Lane wrote. It changed my life because it was so well written and it made the Eurovision contest seem so insane and wonderful. Then when finally Logo, for those two beautiful years, aired Eurovision in America, I got to see it and not just watch clips of it. I got to see the whole thing in context and that changed my life. Then I ended up going to the ABBA Museum in Stockholm. It's the only European museum that I've visited twice. (laughs) (laughs) The second time that I was there, they had a special exhibit on Eurovision that my husband and I stayed at for so long that the staff were visibly startled. We couldn't get enough. And so all of those things have snowballed into me becoming someone who feels deeply enamored of the Eurovision experience. Hopefully talking about these songs does not change that uh, (laughs) that experience at all. Yeah, it's an interesting batch that we have here. We'll start off with France and Barbara Pravi's Voila. Barbara won Sevuki Decide back in January. She is a singer, a songwriter, and an actress, and co-wrote Voila. She also co-wrote J'imagine, which won the Junior Eurovision Song Contest last year. France, as a country, has won Eurovision five times. The last time was way back in 1977. They have not made the top five since the semifinals were introduced. Their best finish recently was sixth place in 2016, and they did finish last once, and that was back in 2014. Mark, what were your thoughts on France's entry? Well, I would say that if it were up to me, they would be finishing last this year as well. 
Really? To me, this is a bland Ersatz chanson. I find it completely forgettable. It's like the most generic, bad Parisian rom-com background song. I have listened to it four times and cannot remember it. And I just feel enraged by that because I do not come to Eurovision for agreeable background music. And I do not care how cool, quote unquote, the choreography and the music video is. I do not care. That is not why I'm here. I'm here for the song. And the song to me is such a piece of stale bread that it needs to be booted. It should tremble with fear in front of some of the other songs we're going to be discussing today. That's how I feel. Okay, Ben, what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on this? Um, I mean, well, so, sorry, like j- just to put a little bit of context around this, Mark, this is one of the favorites to win this year. So, are you kidding me? Yeah, a little surprised by the strong contrast. Uh, I, I didn't do that particular type of research. I watched the music videos, I read the lyrics, I listened to the songs. I am shocked. Europe, Eurovision. I know it's not just Europe, but come on, get your act together. I I never know how much to trust the bookies. I don't know where they get their information from. The reason that we think France is going to do very well is because Barbara Pravi has co-written their junior Eurovision entries the last couple years and has done very well. France almost won two years ago. They won last year's contest. It makes sense that France is like, hey, Barbara Pravi, do you have anything for regular Eurovision? As somebody who who watched the French selection this year, I'm like, of course France picked this one. It sounds like France. If you ask someone off the street, what does the French Eurovision entry sound like? They would write you, voila. The music video does nothing for me. The recorded version does nothing for me. But the live performances or like the one, the performances they've been pulling together for the, the online pre-praise we have had make me go, oh, this is interesting. So I think the recorded versions undersell this. Mm. I think as a performer and in the way that they have been staging their performances... France is doing some interesting stuff. Whether that will translate to whatever they cook up for Rotterdam remains to be seen. You know what? I hope that when I see the live performance at the actual Eurovision, I am delighted. I am ready to be changed, in my opinion. There was a press conference a couple of weeks back where the delegation was doing a Bon Voyage party for Barbara. She did a performance of the song, and it was flawless. It was like flipping an on switch. It was amazing to watch. And the delegation loves working with her and mm. they're very enthusiastic about her. But France is always very enthusiastic about their entries and <laughs> they just keep finishing mid table. France, the last three years, this has come in like, we've done it. We've cracked Eurovision. Hooray for us, everybody. And then it's like middle of the road. I think it is going to end up coming down to the live performance and not just the live performance, but where it is in the lineup. If they end up drawing the first half of the final, even if they're in slot 10 or 11, that feels like that's going to be way too early in the show. And it's just going to end up getting forgotten by some of the more bombastic performances that are bound to follow it in the lineup. Yes, it is very brand France, but it's a very good representation of brand France. I'm also a little confused as to why it's such a heavy favorite. It is a good song, but yeah, I think it may be a little overvalued at this point. I just keep thinking about, Ben, what you were saying about how this is what you think of when you think of France. And I wonder if that's going to help or hurt it. I don't know if either one of you know the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This is like those Canaan days, right? <laughs> like This is what it is to me, to my ear. And that maybe for some people, that'll be just the ticket. 
I can really see that going either way for them. But I feel like if France wasn't continually placing towards the bottom half of the scoreboard, they would be happy to just send Patricia Koss singing a chanson every year until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> that is what France wants to send to Eurovision. They've tried some different stuff, so points to France for, for trying different things in the last years. But they're coming back to a comfortable place. We've been through a lot in 2020. That makes sense. Certainly, if you're going to go with what feels comfortable... This is probably a year when Cozy Warmth and Huga are the right choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a few different entries this year where it feels like middle of the road material elevated by the live performance. Sweden comes to mind where this sort of feels in that same way for me. Because again, in the recorded version, I'm I'm unimpressed. But when I see Barbara Privy perform this line, I'm like, oh, this is why it got chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's so charming. And I think that that translates through the tv screen very Mm. well so i think that's probably going to end up getting some points but yeah i don't know if that's going to be enough to push this to a full-on win Okay, so let's move on to Germany's selection this year, Gendrick and I Don't Feel Hate. Gendrick is an internal selection for Germany. He studied musical theater and starred in productions of Hairspray, Peter Pan, My Fair Lady. Could not find a performance of him in Greece. We have found three other Eurovision performers this year who have performed the song Grease Lightning at one point or another on television. <laughs> Gendrick is not one of them that I can find. Ukulele is his instrument of choice. He wrote about it in his bachelor's thesis. And then as far as Germany goes... Germany is OG Eurovision. They have an almost perfect attendance record and have only missed the 1996 contest, and that was due to relegation. They have won twice, which shocks me. It feels like they've won more, but they only won in 1982 and 2010. And since the semifinals were introduced, they have finished in last place three times and have mostly hung out on the bottom right hand of the scoreboard. Uh, Also, there was a burlesque version of this song, and I got about a minute into it and turned it off. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, what did you make of this song? Well, first, I'd like to go back to Germany's 2010 win, which I believe was with Satellite by Lena. I found out about that song because I pay close attention to the British Weekly Top 40. This was a song that broke into the top 30 in England, and it's very rare for Eurovision winners to make it that high on the British charts these days. I didn't know what it was when I listened to it, but then they back announced what it was because I was streaming the BBC. Doesn't matter. The point is, I love that song. So to me, Germany may have not won that many times, but it's the only one of the recent... Well, that's not true. Uh, In that general era, it was my very favorite, and it's one of my all-time favorite Eurovision winners. Justice for Lena. Wait, Justice, she yeah. won. The point is, no, like, <laughs> she did win. She did good. Justice, but no, like, that one, that of 2010's winners, I've gone back to that one does hold up. Yeah, I don't want to say that I like it more than the Conchita Verst song because that's hard to say. But I do really like them both. For this one, I feel like that it epitomizes what I love about Eurovision. It is two clicks east of actually understanding the English idiom that it's trying to use, both musically and linguistically. So it's like watching something through a curved mirror, and I love it. It's so close to being Taylor Swift's You Need to Calm Down, 
both in its execution and its subject matter, because it's a song about not giving a damn about homophobes. But it's also so weird, and it's not quite right, and the phrasing is off, and some of it's impossible to understand. If I didn't have lyric sheets, I would not know what he was saying. And yet, it's so ebullient, and the ukulele is expertly executed i find it a lot of fun and it is the song whose chorus has been stuck in my head the most since i began preparing for this conversation today it is definitely an earworm i don't know if i find it joyful that it's stuck in my head Uh, (laughs) (laughs) my first note is this song is just too online for me Um, (laughs) it's just tapping into the whole tiktok ecosystem that i feel like i'm just too old to really understand and i find that devastating it's a song with such good intentions but there's something about it that i just can't get on board i just feel this Mm. level of remove and kind of distrust with gentric as a narrator and i don't know what the cause of that is but it's causing me to do a lot of soul searching that i'm just not comfortable with for a song that i I don't know, Ben, your thoughts. (laughs) We have gotten to see a lot of performances of this song through the various online pre-parties in the last few weeks. And again, I watched the burlesque version that was released. Mm -hmm. As I encounter more performances of the song, I give massive props to Jendrick for committing to the bit for this. You can tell when a Eurovision artist is not giving their all, and that is absolutely not the case here. On the other hand, he's staging the song in all of these different settings, And it's turning me into Dr. Seuss, because I do not like it here or there. I do not like it by a pool. I do not like it with burlesque. And Mike, like you, I just don't trust him as a narrator. And I don't know why. I just assume it's because my brain has been in the microwave of Twitter for too long. I have been irony poisoned. There are bits of this song that I like. There's a moment after the first little strummy bit on the ukulele where it briefly turns into the the instrumental hits from Yes's Owner of a Lonely Heart. Mm. For like... 30 seconds. I want it to go down that path and not immediately go back to the whistling and strumming because then it just becomes Glee. This song resides next to the part of my brain that wants to scream. Hey, remember when Glee did a musical number where everybody was in a wheelchair to support their friend and they did Proud Mary? That happened? That happened. Wow. Ryan Murphy approved that. I don't know why this lives next to that. There's just a lot going on with the song too like i don't know why there's like a weird end of a radio song bit at the end that is one of the things that i actually adore about it i do want to stress that my joy about this song is in the fact that it is a shambles when he (laughs) breaks in as though he's a radio announcer interrupting himself what is that why is that there when i first heard it i assumed that it was because the song had leaked i'm like oh this is like a message at the end for whoever's supposed to be hearing this song and then it was on the final version i was like wait what yeah i I just really want to stress again this is going to continue to come up through this conversation i want eurovision songs to be akin to disasters The, the fact that satellite is a great song is actually making it an outlier in my eurovision life i love the madness of this because you would just never see this well maybe now with the masked singer which has changed american taste for either better or worse depending (laughs) on kind of mood you're in this is just something that feels very steeped in what i perceive eurovision to be and i love that because you know mike you mentioned that it made you think about tiktok which of course i totally get that but it also made me go all the way back to jill so buell's i kissed a girl and that sort of very twee very intentionally perfect looking world that she created visually and sonically to tell this story of trying to sound innocent because it's trying to do something subversive. And I like that this song 
is kind of like that, but is not disciplined enough to complete the mission and just dissolves into chaos. I darkly admire it. I almost would appreciate it if it were slightly more subversive, if it were nailing the brief. That might push me over into the, oh, I see what this is doing and I like it camp. That's what makes me think about the Taylor Swift, you need to calm down, where she's just trying so hard. But, you know, she has more money and taste, so it's a little bit better. I do think that this is going to be an interesting performance to watch on the night of the contest. Yeah, because there was that one live performance on, what was that called? Schlagermania or something? I'm making the largest set of air quotes around the word live. Right. The performance that I'm thinking of, he was lip syncing, but it was turning it into a musical theater production. In that context, it makes so much more sense. And I think that is where the song is most successful when it gets into the big band dance breaks Mm -hmm. and Mm. i think this one's going to do really well with the televote it's definitely going to be the most memorable because every three seconds it changes into something else and it does feel like it is the most eurovision-y entry Mm -hmm. of the 39 entries this year i think it's just going to come down to what is the jury going to do with this and i think mathematically this could end up mid-table just because it's going to have enough televote support i'm Not sure this is going to be top 10, but I could definitely see it in the middle of the table, which would be a good placement for Germany in recent years. Mm -hmm. I do really commend Germany for giving Gendrick the space to fully and unabashedly be himself with this performance. Like, it feels like they're giving him as much creative reign as they can. The next one on our list comes from Italy. It's Maneskin with Zitti Buoni. They are a band that formed in 2015, and they were the runners-up on the 2017 edition of X Factor Italia. They won the San Remo Festival in March. Both of their albums have topped the Italian charts, and they've had six top ten singles. Italy as a country has won twice, 1964 and 1990. Italy pieced out of the contest in 1997, but decided to return in 2011. Since then, they have finished in the top five four times and were heavy favorites to win last year and several other years. Ben, what are your thoughts on this entry? If I can't have an Iceland victory this year, I would like an Italy victory. I love this song. It took me a couple listens to realize that the reason I like this song is that it has big Hatari energy. Hmm. I feel like you can connect the dots between those entries. And at least for me, when I heard Hatari's entry, it made me want to dig into their back catalog. When I heard ZTE Buoni, I immediately wanted to dig into everything else that Monoskin has recorded. This has the energy Mamu did a few years ago. And it does the thing that Italy loves to do where there's a verse that is all of the words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unlike a few years ago where it really didn't work for me, that second verse is great. Mark, what do you think of this entry? Well, first I have to give a shout out to the eurovision video i've watched the most times and that is the italian's entry occidentale's karma which is the one with the the gorilla in a bow tie who does choreography i love that performance it's so insane that said this is not insane it's just a good song i agree it's kind of shocking that it's just good it's definitely clearly steeped in late 90s 
pop punk, like what grunge became. You can feel the energy of Sum 41, that band, in this song, or early Paramore. But that's fine. Those are good songs. Those are good bands. They have done a great job at creating punk with money. You know, like they clearly have an interest in punk energy, but they are polished and are trying to appeal to as many people as they can, which is great. That is a perfectly fair lane in which to drive. I think they drive in it very well. Also, they look cool. I really dig this song. They they just look so cool. This feels like a slightly different lane for Italy to be in mm-hmm. than what they've sent the past few years, and it's very exciting. I will be shocked if a gorilla in a bow tie comes out during this performance. I think they would be, too. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I love this entry. I, I like the description of it being punk with money. Like, it's kind of reminding me of the Strokes in that way. And yes. also thinking back to when Scissor Sisters first came out. Oh, God, love them. I saw them twice when they were touring for their first album and one of the songs that they did in their set was a cover of Franz Ferdinand's Take Me Out but Mm. like really slowing down the tempo and really bringing in that sex energy that is kind of missing Take Me Out is a horny song but not necessarily a sexy song and Scissor Sisters were kind of adding (laughs) the sexiness to it I almost feel like I'm not cool enough to be able to watch this performance because they have this aura about them that uh, I say every year that I want Italy to win and hope that this is the year that they actually do it. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it this year, and I'm hoping that that's going to not jinx them and it pushes them over the edge into the win. Just, just <laughs> like makes them double down because all the stuff that's at the top is good in various respects. But the description of this is expensive is correct because every time there is a performance by this group, they just look very expensive. They have... A very good vibe. Yeah. And it seems like they're pulling from so many different references, but mm-hmm. it may not even be intentional on their part. Rewatching the music video, I was getting like Talking Heads vibes. And it's just like, mm-hmm. all right, th- like these, like, do these kids actually know who Talking Heads are? And if they do, that is so cool. But if they don't, they're still pulling in from that sort of mm-hmm. influence. And I just think that that's amazing. Pulling in a lot of those early 2000s. New York rock mm-hmm. things. We're just listing all the bands that are in the book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> the Strokes, the Hives, the Vines, the Eels, the something. Yes, go. It's definitely in that Strokes, Interpol, Franz Ferdinand space. Yes. But also sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on Italy? Right. None that are fit for air. Okay. Voy a quedarme Okay, so from Italy, we go to Spain and Blas Canto with Voya Quedarme. Blas was internally selected in 2020 and re-upped by Spain for 2021. He was part of the boy band Orin and tried to represent Spain in 2011. He then went solo in 2017, and his album reached number one on the Spanish charts. He won the program Your Face Sounds Familiar, a, a constant specter that haunts this program. He has also performed Grease Lightning. He's the third one that we've found. He performed it there where he was made up to look like John Travolta. He is still the number one Blas on famous birthdays. Thank goodness. <laughs> Spain is the first country to win back-to-back in 1968 and 1969. 
which is also their only wins. They have hit 10th place three times since the semifinals were introduced, but they mostly hang out with their friends Germany at the bottom of the scoreboard. Mike, how do you feel about Blas Canto's song now? Listening to it earlier today, it kind of reminds me of high school talent shows or chorus performances where they would do pop songs as well. And one of the guys would do On Bended Knee or One Sweet Day or some other Boys to Men style jam. And I feel like the song is in that sort of mid to late 90s nostalgia space, but nobody else is in that space. So it feels really out of place this year. I think this might be a couple years too early or a couple years too late. I'm really growing to like it. And I think part of that is we're starting to learn that Blas actually has a personality, which I think the Spanish delegation really dropped the ball on, even though they've been working with him for 16 to 18 months at this point to be their Eurovision representative. I don't know what Spain is trying to do, and I don't think anybody knows, including the Spanish representatives. They have said in interviews that the delegation has a very specific plan. The plan's not been working. Why are they sticking with this plan? It's really frustrating to to see that. He's a good singer. This song's not the best entry, but it's passable. I think there are a couple of songs that it could be paired with in the lineup where it's not going to finish toward the bottom of the scoreboard, but I don't know what to do with this entry, unfortunately. Mark, what are your thoughts on this one? I think, Mike, you've said it perfectly. It is fine, And if it were 1999, people would be lining up to get this on their album Mm -hmm. because it is exactly that type of ballad. It makes me think about how all of the guys who were part of the Latin pop explosion, they had to have as their second single a song just like this. Yeah. She sang to me by Mark Anthony. She's All I Ever Had by Ricky Martin. This is right there doing that. But like you said, it's a little bit too long ago for it to feel current, and it's not long ago enough to have us crave it in a nostalgic way. It's just sort of there. And I agree, I don't really know what to say or do about this song, but I wasn't mad at it. It's a very nice oral wallpaper for the three minutes it's on, but then it just sort of leaves my brain. Totally. Yeah. Everybody else is doing 80s nostalgia right now in in this lineup, and Spain's like, what about the late 90s? And no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Sorry, Spain. I think Blas is great, and I, I agree with you, Mike. The Spanish delegation is like, oh, hey, by the way, he also has a personality. And we're like, yes, but like, where was this 12 months ago? When they were doing the behind the scenes of filming the music video for this song, I think it was the first time that I saw him smile. He was selected in, I think, October of 2019. Why did it take so long for me to think that he's actually wants to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. It's- yeah, because like when we first discussed this song, we were not sure he wanted to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. For a guy in his position, for better or worse, Duncan Lawrence is great. And if you're going to be a solo male crooner type at Eurovision right now, you've got to be able to compete with Duncan Lawrence, who is becoming an international star. So work harder. Smile sooner. If Spain doesn't know what they're doing... If they're just giving us sort of the, the trust the system and a, and a thumbs up, like this is what, what are you guys doing? 
Are we saying that Spain is the Philadelphia 76ers? Uh, 76ers are like, like the Oklahoma City Thunder. There we go. We're just like, eventually, we're going to see what they're doing, but I'm not sure we are. Yeah, somebody needs to let Spain know there isn't a draft. Like This is not going to give you any sort of privileges in next year's contest. It would not surprise me if this one's hanging out at the bottom. I don't know where you place it in the lineup where whatever's surrounding it is not going to be more memorable. Because like if this is somewhere in the middle of 25 other songs... It's just going to get kind of curb stomped. They're not going to put it at the end of the lineup. And even at the end of the lineup, I don't think that would help them. They're not going to close with this one. They're not going to open with it. Sorry, Spain. Any other thoughts on Spain? No. Okay. Next is the United Kingdom and James Newman with Embers. James was internally selected in 2020 and reselected for 2021. He is part of the BMG deal that the BBC has arranged where they have a partnership to find artists and songwriters. James is primarily a songwriter and he's worked with Ed Sheeran, Calvin Harris, Tony Braxton, Kesha, Jess Glynn, Louis Tomlinson, many, many others. He co-wrote Ireland's 2017 entry, Dying to Try, for Brendan Murray. The UK has won Eurovision five times. The last one was in 1997 with Katrina and the Waves and their song Love Shine a Light. Woo! And they scored Null Point in 2003, and it's been downhill since then. After the semis were introduced the following year, they've hit the top 10 once, uh, which was a fifth place finish in 2009, and last place three times, including in 2019. So, Mark, what do you think of Embers? I really like James Newman's songwriting, and as I've mentioned already, I'm really into British pop music, so I was quite excited to see that he was represented here. The song that made him break as a songwriter is this song called Waiting All Night by a group called Rudimental. It's a great song. You mentioned Jess Glynn. The song that he wrote for her, All I Am, is one of my favorite Jess Glynn songs, and James Newman's brother, John Newman, has had some great hits that James Newman has helped to write, including a song with Calvin Harris called Blame. James Newman is the real deal, and I think that is apparent in this song. To me, this song doesn't have any of the elbows or corners that make a Eurovision song seem like it only exists in the Eurovision universe. This, to me, just sounds like a song that would probably reach the top 10, if not the top five in England now. And I think that's pretty cool because they have been doing so poorly. I have a rooting interest in them. I think that this song is good and I don't know if it's going to win, but I don't think they're going to be in last place. Listening to the list of people that James has worked with makes a lot of sense. Mark, you you mentioned Rudimental, your Calvin Harris's, your Clean Bandits. This feels like something where it is their production with a vocalist on top which is not necessarily a bad thing. Because we have been introduced to James Newman as a person and the song he wrote last year, this feels, I don't want to say it's beneath him. It's a very solidly written song and is exactly what's happening in UK radio right now. So all the better reason to have it represent them. But it feels slightly more generic than last year's song to me. It feels like something that James could be writing for somebody else. I could hear Jess Glynn singing something like this. 
I could hear any number of other artists sort of doing the top line on the Clean Bandit version of this. Mm. In interviews, we have seen how warm James is and how great he is as a person and a songwriter. I want the UK to be doing better at Eurovision, and I'm not sure that this is the song that's going to do it. Where are you at, Mike? I also really like James Newman as a person and as a songwriter. I think I like this song as a song. I think some of the arrangements that were presented at the various online pre-parties were interesting. This particular version feels a little overproduced to me. The two of them together, James Newman and the song, I don't like that combination. It, It kind of feels like drinking orange juice after you brush your teeth. Like the flavor profile isn't right. And I think this song would have been better with a different delivery mechanism. He has this Steve Winwood quality to his voice. And it was reminding me of the conversation that we had last week with Maura about how VH1 had that phase in the late 80s where it's just like soul and it's like white guy soul. <laughs> but that's a very UK thing. I think this is hitting an aspect of 80s nostalgia that we touched on in, in, in last week's episode that I didn't really think about until that came up in the conversation. I think this is a step in the right direction for the UK, but it still feels like a B-plus effort. And B-plus is good. Like, B-plus is fine. It's a B-plus. An 89? Great. Yeah, but there's a lot of 90s and 91s. A lot of people are bringing their A-game this year, and I fully agree that the UK strategy of working with BMG is good. I hope they do it for more than just James Newman. Or they keep him on retainer, and like he, he doesn't necessarily have to be the performer, but he's writing good stuff. He's writing quality material that does feel separate from Eurovision, which is good. Your song should have a life outside of these three minutes in May. For what it's worth, I disagree with that statement, but again, we would know what my idiosyncratic reasons for watching Eurovision are. <laughs> I think that's also part of it. When this song first debuted, I had mentioned that the UK's enthusiasm for their entry is inversely proportional to my enthusiasm for their entry. Like, yes. like the the UK crowd was very into this, and I'm not as in tune with what is happening in the UK music scene versus the US music scene. If this is what is popping right now in the UK, like, yeah, I think that enthusiasm is well earned. Well, I feel like the UK is also another one of the acts where there is a specific moment in February where their song debuts where UK Eurovision Twitter is like, yes, we're doing it. We smashed it. The UK is back, baby. Uh, and then by the time we get to May, the UK is back. This ain't the end, no. It's the birth of a new So let's close things out with the home team this year. The Netherlands is sending Jean-Gu McCroy and Birth of a New Age. Jean-Gu was internally selected in 2020 and re-upped for 2021. He is originally from Suriname and moved to the Netherlands to study songwriting in 2014. His first single, Gold, was used in the HBO ad campaign. Dance With Me is the theme for the film Open Seas, which was on the shortlist for last year's Oscars for International Feature Film. Notably, this is the first Eurovision entry to include Shranin Tongo, an English-based Creole language spoken in Suriname. The Netherlands has won the contest five times. Their previous one was in 1975, and they served as a backup host in 1980. Since 2013, they've 
only missed the final once. They did not qualify 2005 through 2012. They had a, a radical shift in how they were selecting their artists and how seriously they seem to be taking the contest, and they have been in the conversation for a number of years. As the host country, they have already drawn position 23 in the grand final, which that feels like a nice spot. Mark, what did you make of this song? Well, this is a great, great how am I going to use this adjective so I don't sound like a fool? This is a really enjoyable Eurovision song to me because it's just generic enough in its messaging that we can all feel good about it. And it has just enough of that recognizable Ryan Tedder bombast that he puts on songs like Already Gone by Kelly Clarkson or Halo by Beyonce that we can all feel kind of moved and stirred by it. And the singer is just good enough. It's exactly the kind of thing that if I were at Eurovision Live, I would probably weep and hug a stranger. So I feel like for me, this is the type of song that I come to Eurovision for. I think this song is a masterpiece, and I'm already mad about how this is going to underperform on the scoreboard. (laughs) I am am also already mad. Number one, I wish it were earlier in the lineup. I I think position 23 is maybe too late, because I I feel like it's a song that you have to sit with before it fully washes over you. I'm worried that there's just not going to be enough time for the televoters to really appreciate what this song is presenting. I'm so excited to see what this performance is going to look like because there's so much artistry everywhere else in how both this year's entry and last year's entry have been presented. I'm not arguing that this should win. I I don't know if it's quite up to that level, but if it's not on the left side of the scoreboard... If it's not on the left side of the scoreboard, we march at dawn. (laughs) I fully agree with you, Mark, that this one does a wonderful thing of being generic enough that you feel inspired by it and you find a meaning in it. But also the artistic sentiment that's coming from the songwriter in this song is completely different from what I'm pulling from it. The Netherlands has been playing a very smart game with Eurovision and picking artists who are doing thoughtful things. And I was very excited to see what they're going to do with last year's song and the performance. I have no doubt they're going to do pull something together great just based on the music video for this, which did such a wonderful culture clash of bringing Surinamese culture to the Rijksmuseum. Like you said, Mike, I'm just preemptively mad at the dust this is getting in discussion right now because I think it's beautiful. It's nailing the brief of what you want a host entry to be, which is, here is why we won. We do not want to win again. It's it's showing the Netherlands at their best. Mm. You know, that seriousness that's present in the video, I'm glad that you brought that up. I hadn't really considered that when I was speaking before, but the seriousness of artistic intent that's clear in the video adds a texture to the overall experience of the song that is quite lovely. And I agree with you that it shows the Netherlands as a really thoughtful competitor. Suriname was a Dutch colony, and to have your entry this year be a, a representative of that part of Dutch culture is such an interesting choice. It's a nice sort of quiet reminder of what the quote-unquote theme of this year's contest is, open up. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little bit of leadership by example of here is what we mean by that, even if that may not have been the intent of the song. I do not think that the Netherlands sat Jean Goudin and was like, okay, this is the theme this year, write a song about that. Right. And I'm going to say this as a compliment. The repetition of the phrase, your rhythm is rebellion, it is actually really successful in making the song stick. And it's the kind of thing that you could put on merchandise. People would be happy to have the phrase, your rhythm is rebellion on their tote bag. And when you're able to get at something that succeeds with artistic intent, like we were just describing, but also is sticky and commercial, 
like that, that's really that Eurovision sweet zone. There's something about the combination of your rhythm is rebellion to the lines that are in the the Creole. It's just hooks on hooks on hooks, which is just great pop songwriting. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons I love Eurovision so much is because we don't have to pretend like we forget that pop music is a business. Instead, we get to think about ways that the business of pop music can create these really fascinating artistic experiences. Exactly. Thinking about the 2013 contest, the dubstep drop is having a moment. Yes. How how does this mash up with Armenian folk music? Yes. As we get to have interesting conversations about that, that's what I come to Eurovision for. How is global folk music traditions taking in whatever is going on in, in pop and going, oh, here's how we would do that? Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a great conversation. I am so flattered to have been invited. Certainly, as someone who loves Eurovision and doesn't really get that many opportunities to talk about it at this length, it has been a real treat for me. Oh, fantastic. Is there anything that you would like to plug while you're here? Well, sure. If you like pop music, and I'm guessing that you do, you may want to check out my podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, which I co-host with Sarah D. Bunting. We also co-wrote a book called Madonna A to Z that uses 26 essays, each named after a different letter of the alphabet, to dig into her music, her career, and her legacy. You can find all of that at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. And that's Sarah with an H. Excellent. That's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thank you for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can follow The Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. Show notes are in the description of this episode or on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next week is the big week. We'll be back on Monday with our final thoughts about rehearsals, our picks for the semifinals, and whatever else is new with Eurovision. 